Welcome to the Clovercrest Baptist Church podcast. For more information about Clovercrest Baptist Church, go to clovercrest.com.au. Thanks, everyone. It is a privilege to be here and be part of uh, such a significant moment for Michelle and for this church, as well as the graduation, uh, which is another significant milestone and marker. It's really important to celebrate those milestones and markers, um, both, I think, individually for ourselves to celebrate what God is doing. But as a church and as a community, those markers become the story of our history that we look back over and see generation after generation how God has been at work. I love history. Um, When I was at school, I actually thought history was really boring because it seemed like just learning a whole bunch of dates and trying to remember them. But for me, it was actually studying the history of the church and the history of the Bible that helped me to realise that history is just the stories of real people. It's the stories of people just like us living in different times and places, people with hopes and imaginations and relationships and bodies and families and communities just living in different circumstances and cultures. And in the scriptures and throughout the history of the church, it's people who know the same God we do, people who are seeking to follow Jesus just as we are and who are figuring out what that looks like in their time and place. Now, I have to acknowledge that sometimes in the history in the Bible, while it may not be a long list of dates, it might feel like just a long list of names. If you've ever come across those parts when you're reading through the Bible, sometimes it is exactly that. Genealogies and records of those participating in the community and addressees of letters one after another after another. And because their names might be unfamiliar to us, those are the parts of the Bible it's pretty easy to skim over. But those are the records, the history, the story of God at work. And I think if we take some time to um, look at them in a different way, if we take some time to listen to the stories of the people they recount, they can actually be parts of the Bible that really encourage us. And so this morning in particular, as we celebrate and affirm what God has done in Michelle's life and how he has gifted, called and set her apart for ministry, I wanted to see if some of these stories of a whole bunch of other people God has gifted and called and sent into ministry might encourage and challenge us to each consider how God has gifted you and called and sent you. So I want to take you to the end of Paul's letter to the church in Rome. The letter we call Romans, which I think has too often been read as though it's some kind of theological textbook, which in some ways is understandable because it is probably one of the best explanations of some of the most profound mysteries and truths of who Jesus is. But you can really only read it that way if you completely ignore the last chapter. Because what's very clear from chapter 16 of Romans is that these profound truths are always grounded in the lives of real people, in real time, in real place. Because following Jesus isn't an abstract idea, it's not even just a set of beliefs. It is embodied practice of discipleship that is lived out in the realities of relationships and communities and circumstances and cultures. I would argue there's actually a case to be made that the last chapter at the end of Paul's letters where he has those long list of names are actually in some ways the most important parts of the book because that's where the rubber hits the road, where all the teaching and theology, where all the encouragements and exhortations are lived out in practice, where we see that everything else that has been said in these scriptures is designed to impact and shape and transform real people's lives. 
Each person named gives us a glimpse into the story of God at work in a real situation. And in the list of names in Romans 16, you get the names of women and men, of Jews and of Greeks, of slaves and of free people. And those groupings should ring a bell because those are the same kind of groups that the New Testament says are all one in Christ. And again, that's not just an idea, a nice theory. That needs to be lived out in practice, in actual relationships. And this letter isn't written to isolated individuals, it's written to a community, to the church, the family and body of Jesus, where each person matters and is needed, and where together we are more than any one of us could be alone. Earlier in his letter, in chapter 12, Paul uses this image of a body. We all have a body made up of different parts that all work together to live and to be all that we can be. And he uses that image for the church as Christ's body. So just like our bodies have different parts that have different roles, eyes that see and ears that hear, legs that walk and hands that write, hearts that pump blood and lungs that breathe air. So the body of Christ is made up of different parts. Each person has a role to play, a gift to give, so that together we can be the body that Christ has designed us to be. In a chapter where he talks about the pouring out of God's spirit, which we sang and prayed for this morning, let me read you what Paul says in Romans 12. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is both an encouragement and a challenge to the whole church, to each one of us to be the part of the church means to have been gifted by God to play our part in his family. So what I want to do this morning is take you to Romans chapter 16, to some of the stories of the people in that community and how they demonstrate and reveal what this looks like for us in practice. And because I confess to you that I love history, I'd also love to share with you just a few glimpses of stories from across our movement of churches, from our history and our family, because I hope they might inspire and invite you to consider what God has been doing and is doing because we're part of the same story, a story that continues to be written in and through people like Michelle, who we've affirmed and celebrated today, and so many others here in this church. Ultimately, my prayer this morning is that you might consider the opportunities and the gifts that you have been given, and how you can step more and more into playing your part in this community and in the kingdom of God. So, let's get to the names. First, in Romans 16, we have Phoebe. Phoebe, who is the minister or deacon of the church in Chentrae, near Corinth in Greece. She is a benefactor, that is, a financial supporter of Paul and many others in ministry. And she is the one who's been entrusted by Paul to bring this letter to the church in Rome, to explain and teach and preach all that he wants to share with them. She is using her gifts, the wealth that she has been blessed with, she is generously giving away, the time that she has, she has sacrificed to travel carrying this letter to them, and her ability to speak and preach and explain the gospel, she is using for the benefit of the church. 
Her story reminds me a little bit of Michelle, but also reminded me of the story of Silas Mead, who's perhaps one of the most famous South Australian Baptist preachers and ministers. There's actually a book about this guy coming out early next year, so if you're into history, look out for that. He was the pastor at Flinders Street Baptist Church over 150 years ago, and he was one of the key people in forming the associational family of churches that we are now a part of. He was also the key driver in forming the missionary society that is now known as Global Interaction. As if that wasn't enough, we believe he also planted, get this, another 49 churches around Adelaide, just in his free time. It's an amazing story, and as if that wasn't enough, he was a leader in all kinds of social engagement. He advocated for women's suffrage, for temperance and against family violence, for Christian education. There are amazing stories when we take time to listen to history. And today... We've celebrated Michelle as the newest ordained pastoral leader in that story in our family of churches. She too has been gifted to preach and lead and as an evangelist. Today, we've acknowledged her gifts and honoured her willingness to use them in service of Jesus and his kingdom and affirmed all that we receive from her. But who else here might God be calling to step into this kind of ministry leadership? If you have gifts in leadership, what is the next step you can take in exploring them and using them for Jesus' kingdom? I pray that there might be some sitting here today that we will see in the future trained and equipped, called and affirmed to lead churches and to plant churches and to spread the good news of King Jesus to new places. Let me keep moving. In verses three and four, we read of Priscilla and Aquila, a married Jewish couple who were originally from Rome. However, we know from the story in the book of Acts that they actually had to flee Rome under persecution by the Emperor Claudius, which is also referred to by the Roman historian Suetonius. See, there was something useful I learned in history at school. Priscilla and Aquila have met Jesus and they have been sharing the good news about him ever since. They are teachers. In Acts chapter 18, they meet the Apostle Paul for the first time after they hear him preach. And they gently take him aside and actually explain the gospel a bit more fully to him. (laughs) They must have been pretty amazing teachers because their pupil goes on to become the leading teacher of the early church. They have used the gift that they have for the benefit of the church, the kingdom, and ultimately the whole world. Another teacher whose story I recently came across is a woman whose name was Margaret or Peg Sinclair. And she was actually the first woman to pastor a church, a Baptist church here in South Australia, way back in the 1940s. She had trained as a teacher and was preparing to go to the mission field overseas, but she ended up pastoring the Baptist church in the working class suburb of Hilton in the years after World War II. And her nieces still have her large collection of sermons. Who are the teachers among you? How are you using your teaching gifts to serve King Jesus? It might be by working in education or it might be as a small group leader or a preacher in the church. You might be teaching your own children how to live faithfully and wisely. Paul says, if your gift is teaching, then teach. Next, in verse five, we get Epinetus, who was the first person in Asia to become a follower of Jesus. Wouldn't you love to hear the backstory to that? (laughs) We're not given any more details, but I can only imagine that that would have been a pretty challenging path to be the first believer in a whole region. But his story, his life, becomes an encouragement to the church in his day. And because Paul mentions it, now it becomes an encouragement to the church throughout history. 
There's nothing like hearing stories of people meeting Jesus for the first time. This last year, we have so loved hearing testimonies in words and through the act of baptism. Despite the challenges of this year, we've actually had more baptisms across our movement this year than ever before, with over 145 people who've taken that step and have encouraged others by publicly declaring the story of God's work in their lives as Jesus has invited them to. Maybe God is inviting you today to be the gift of encouragement by sharing your story of meeting Jesus or by demonstrating your faith in Jesus through baptism or by telling your friends and family what God is doing in your life. Young or old, male or female, someone who's known Jesus your whole life or someone who's just getting to know him for the first time in the room or online, you can practice the gift of encouragement. Let me keep moving. Verse seven, we have Andronicus and Junia, probably a married couple. They are Jewish apostles who've been Christians longer than Paul, which probably means they were actually disciples of Jesus himself. They, like Paul, have a ministry of taking the good news to new places, and they've done so with such a good reputation and with such effectiveness that the Roman authorities have put them in prison to try and stop them. They are evangelists and missionaries going out with courage even when it is costly. Have you ever heard of a woman called Amelia Bayertz? I wish her story was better known. She was an evangelist in the 1880s, a Jewish woman who met the Messiah Jesus and traveled all around Australia preaching the good news. And she was like doing Billy Graham crusades before Billy Graham was born. Here in Adelaide, she preached at Flinders Street Baptist Church in the city and so many people came to hear her that they ran out of room. And so the next week they moved her to the town hall and they ran out of seats there as well. People came to faith. People confessed their sin and were reconciled to their families. People got involved in preparing themselves for serving and teaching. I believe that here among this church today are people who have gifts that will enable them to take the gospel to new places, to share faith with those who haven't heard it yet. It might be costly and it's okay to be nervous about what that might look like, but the Holy Spirit has gifted you by His grace. You don't have to have it all figured out now. What you do need to do is trust him to speak through you and give it a go. Take a step, talk to someone. We'd love to support and encourage you. Two names in verses eight to nine are Ampliatus and Urbanus, who are simply called friends and co-workers of Paul. But what's really interesting is that both of those names are names that were commonly given to slaves in Rome. I can only imagine what their lives had been like. And perhaps these two saw themselves as the least likely to be those honoured and named and lifted up by Paul and his, as his fellow workers. But they too are putting into practice what it means to be part of the body, to use whatever situation they find themselves in to serve, to give themselves away for God's purposes. Perhaps some of you have heard of Ellen Arnold. The very first cross-cultural worker sent overseas by Australian Baptists was a 24-year-old single woman from Adelaide. She lived among the poor in Bengal, particularly connecting with women who had no education or skills. And she started schools and she started medical clinics. And from the very first people that she shared the good news of Jesus with grew what today is the Bangladesh Baptist Union, the largest Protestant denomination in that country with over 500 churches and an aid agency that continues to serve the most vulnerable in health, education and sanitation and where apparently they still celebrate Ellen Arnold Day every year. There are many here in this congregation who have the gift of serving. 
I know that there are two incredibly hardworking women from this church family who serve diligently on the board of Baptist Care. I have seen how much they give of themselves, often behind the scenes, to use their gifts and their time to bring hope and dignity to the lives of some of the most vulnerable people in our community. You have a whole team of volunteers serving at the Pathways Community Centre, practically giving help to vulnerable people in a myriad of ways. The scriptures say if your gift is serving, then serve with your whole heart. Maybe you've been waiting for someone to ask you to get involved. Why don't you put your hand up and say, how can I serve? Because we all have a part to play and the body is not complete without you playing your part. In verse 10 is Apelles, another who has been faithful through trials, likely some kind of persecution. And the household of Aristobulus, which probably means the family or even the slaves of this man who himself may or may not be a believer, may not even be alive. Whatever their circumstances, these are people who know suffering and have no doubt received grace and comfort from others. But they are also people who've used that comfort they've received to share and play their part in God's story through the church. I'm reminded by them of Wah Stone, one of our amazing colleagues who passed away earlier this year. He was born in Vietnam during the war and suffered polio as a child. He was adopted in Adelaide and went through a period of rebellion and addiction as he struggled with the challenges of his life. But then he encountered Jesus and he found freedom. And eventually he heard the call to serve. He went to Bible college and pastored churches here in Adelaide and was ordained. But God called him to return to Vietnam to set up Company of Grace to love and minister to children with disabilities so that they might found, find for themselves what he had found in Jesus. His suffering led him to great compassion and vision for others, and he was an incredible gift to many. Maybe you're someone who's doing it really tough, whether in this particular season or with ongoing challenges in your life. And you might be sitting here listening to me tell story after story of all these people, and you think, oh, I could never do that. I don't have anything to offer. Let me tell you, those are lies that do not come from our gracious God. In your struggle, in your darkness, in your challenges, God's gift to you is the pouring out of his Holy Spirit to comfort and to guide and to bless and support you. And that same Spirit enables you to be a blessing to others. Whether it's just by showing them a smile or saying hello, or by sharing what has helped you persevere and keep going even when it's been really tough. You don't have to wait until everything's perfect. <laughs> to play your part in God's kingdom. If we did, none of us would be here. God's incredible mercy is that he wants to work through each one of us just as we are. A couple more names in verse 11 are Herodian and Narcissus. One is a Jew and the other is a classical Greek name. The fact that they are listed together makes me wonder whether these could be two people who have heard the teaching of Jesus that Jews and Gentiles are one in Christ and are living that out in practice, this amazing reconciliation between those who were once enemies. I think of someone like Uncle Don Haywood, pastor of the Aboriginal Berean Church, who was a leader in our movement and a humble servant as he helps us try to understand what genuine reconciliation looks like between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians. I would love to tell you more of his story, but let me put in a plug. You can actually hear him tell his story for himself. We interviewed him on our podcast movement just a couple of weeks ago, and if you want to hear more, check it out. It's a great story to hear. Who here today has a heart for reconciliation and is gifted in bringing people together? 
Who's good at sharing hospitality and creating space for people to journey together? We need you to use your gifts. We really need you. There are so many things in our culture that seem to seek to divide us. God's church is called to be a place of reconciliation and unity, and he has given us gifts in people who can champion and advocate for that, and people who can model and demonstrate that, and in people who can make space and provide pathways for that. If that's you, please, please use your gifts in every way you can. In verse 12, we make Tryphena, Tryphosa, and Persis, three women who work hard. And the, the word there suggesting they work practically with their hands, serving, showing mercy, caring for others. These are among the first in a very long tradition throughout church history of women and men who quietly care in practical ways. I've recently discovered the story of a woman called Alice Tibbetts, who was a member of our movement of churches in the 1880s and was one of the very first group of women to graduate from Adelaide University as a nurse. She then went and bought the Wakefield Street Hospital and turned it into a training school for nurses, the first in our state. She trained up a whole generation to provide practical care and mercy. When she died in 1932, an article in the Advertiser called her the Florence Nightingale of South Australia. And her service was motivated by knowing Jesus and seeking to live out in practice what it meant to use her gifts of compassion and mercy to care for others. I so love it when we see people in churches reach out and care for others in practical ways, making meals, mowing lawns, repairing things that are broken, creating things that are beautiful. Women and men, handy persons and creatives, as well as those who just have time to spare and a pair of willing hands. Has God given you those gifts? How can you put them into practice today? Towards the end of the list are Rufus and his mother. Now we know from the Gospels that Rufus is the son of Simon of Cyrene, the man who is conscripted to carry Jesus' cross on the walk to Gethsemane. This family knows the story and the cost of following Jesus. But not only are they named here as those who have persevered, but they have a role in discipling others. Rufus's mother has become a mentor, a mother figure to Paul and no doubt many others. She reminds me of Pat and Pam, two women who have been faithful members of my church for around 60 and 80 years respectively. And in a church that is now mostly comprised of younger people, they are spiritual mothers and grandmothers, mentors, role models, examples of faithful discipleship, prayer and study. Like them, those who have the wisdom of experience often make great mentors for those who have not yet walked as far. You can be a spiritual grandparent or a parent or an aunt or an uncle or a peer who can offer friendship and love to someone who needs to know that they have a family in the church. You can pray or ask someone how they're going. You can offer to read the Bible with them or talk to them about the challenges of family life. You can just show up and sit with them in the day-to-day -day tasks or silences and sadness of life. Is this the part of the body that God is asking you to be? Finally, at the end, we do just have another list of names within a list. I won't try and say them all. But there are the names of men and women. There are Jewish and Latin and Greek names. There are names belonging to both slaves and free people, each one representing yet another story of faithful discipleship and service, living out in practice what this letter calls us all to. There are so many people we could name throughout our history and across our churches, people whose names might not make it into books or podcasts or even a sermon, 
but people whose names are written large in God's book because they have served faithfully and had far more impact than we will know this side of the new creation. Each person has been graced by God to make a difference in his church and his kingdom. Whether your name is known to few or many, whether you prefer to be up front or behind the scenes, whether you're young or old or anywhere in between. Let me read the words of Romans 12 again. We all have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy. In accordance with your faith, if your gift is serving, then serve. If your gift is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So what is your gift? How are you discovering it? How are you using it? Where are you stepping up into it? How could you be giving all of yourself? And whose story are you inspired by in serving Jesus? And who might be inspired by your story and your example? May these stories of our sisters and brothers inspire us, but even more, may the Holy Spirit be poured out upon us and inspire and equip us to respond to His gracious gift to play our part in sharing those gifts with one another so that the fullness of His love and grace may be seen in and through us and poured out onto the world around us.